April showers bring Mayflowers, but what do Mayflowers bring? A special offer from the DSR Network. For the month of May, become a member and receive 20% off a monthly or annual membership. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, exclusive bonus content, our evening members-only newsletter, and an invitation to continue the conversation via our members-only Slack community. This offer won't last, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code MAYFLOWERS, one word, to receive your discount. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code MAYFLOWERS. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a super-extra-special edition of our podcast. Obviously, the big news this weekend, the coronation continuing a thousand-year tradition in England. I'm sitting here. I'm wearing a crown, robes, uh, the star of New Jersey, a very important uh, top order that uh, many people, you can't see that, but uh, it's it's there. And I am joined by um, our uh, friend, uh, uh, a keen observer of world affairs, but that includes the affairs of his home country, um, although he's lived here for a suitable period of time. Clive Priddle, publisher of Public Affairs, uh, who I, I must note has been the editor of uh, several of my books, uh, the, the books that actually turned out well. And uh, um, I'm delighted to see you this morning, Clive. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Thank you, David. Um, great, great to join you. Uh, you look fantastic in your regalia. In my regalia. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, New Jersey, we're known for that. You know, we were talking about this coronation the other day on our our sort of flagship podcast with uh, uh, our other resident um, uh, Brit uh, Ed Luce of the Financial Times, um, and Ed Luce said something. Um, he said the Charles uh, the King uh, it, through this coronation and everything else he's doing is trying to make the monarchy more like the bicycle monarchies. Of Europe, and you know, like I'm from New Jersey, so like bicycle monarchies—is this like a Tour de France thing? What is this? What is a bicycle monarchy? Well, you guys in New Jersey don't know anything about <laughs> the state of the roads, but um, uh, well, he, yes, I think Ed's talking about a, a sort of stripped-down, much more modest-feeling monarchy that uh, dispenses with gilded coaches and becomes. Uh, a a more kind of recognizable thing for the average person in the street. Um, I don't know whether you can get away with that and still own 12 palaces and (laughs) billions of dollars of uh, what would otherwise be public land uh, and have have, uh, an enormous income that's generated from these things. You know, I I think the, the, the monarchies of these other countries are simply... Not as wealthy. I'm um, not saying they don't have anything, but the, the Spanish or the Norwegian or the Danish 
Dutch monarchies, which are usually the ones that are thought of when we're talking about bicycling, um, they, they've, they've all had significant interruptions in their family histories. They've been displaced by war or uh, overwhelmed by republicanism in the recent past, and, and their, their family fortunes are uh, dis- disrupted as well. Uh, the uh, the British monarchies had a pretty good run in terms of uh, its portfolio. So why? I mean, why? Why? You know, I mean, I I, I was watching the news this morning, and Caddy Kay of the BBC was doing a she has a special BBC special on the other monarchies of Europe, uh, and you know she was like, well, I'm very excited. I'm about to go see King Zog. Um, uh, King Zog, of course, being the king of Albania. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, all these other monarchies have faded in a dignified way. W- what is it about the British monarchy that it like holds on and seems, to, I mean, in the world, where are there other monarchies like this? And, you know, what is it about the British that, you know, that, you know, they will line the streets tomorrow. There's even this bizarre thing that, Somebody suggested, well, you will pledge an oath of allegiance to the king while watching him on television. I mean, yeah, what the heck? That is, yes, I don't, I don't, that's new. Um, uh, we've never, never been asked to do that before. I think people are quite nervous about exactly what might be pledged. Do you plan to uh, watch the thing and, and shout, God save the king at the television set? I, I can't bring myself to do that. <laughs> I mean, I do think... There's a lot to enjoy in watching a coronation because um, it's an event unlike any other. But I, I think you should watch it like an event like un- unlike any other, as opposed to um, from a position of reverence or deference. I, I like the Met, Met Gala kind of deal? Met Gala, yeah. Or the first time you've ever been to a NASCAR race. I mean, <laughs> uh, at least once. Um, we're not going to see these things roll around very often. And, um, and I think it is... Uh, you know, part of the enjoyment, I think, is also going to be, you know, listening to the commentators try and fill the endless hours as a, a slow-moving coach rumbles down uh, the streets of Westminster. Well, yeah. I mean, the last one was like 73 years ago. You were just uh, starting out as a young editor then, right? Uh, yeah. I, I think we first book. Um, <laughs> um, you know, they will be commenting on the slow-rolling coach, and Presumably, what I'm expecting is that there will be a lot of shots of, you know, Prince Harry, and they'll be going, "Doesn't he look unhappy?" That, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I, I think that's right. Uh, Harry's going to bear a disproportionate burden of the attention, partly because so many other people who thought they were going to be invited to this event haven't been, um, and I think I think that's a. It's a tremendous lost opportunity for snarky commentators uh, that the peerage is not there en masse. Uh, you know, we're going to have... Where, where did they go? Well, they just got booted. Um, <laughs> so we're going to have 40 fairly respectful peers who will have very few fun stories to tell about them and their ancestors. Whereas if we'd had the whole, uh, the whole bunch, um, then, you know, we, we really would have had a display of, of, of Britain's enduring landed... Uh, aristocrats and 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 i think that has become a sort of totally unacceptable visual these days and that's why the royal but, but you know but aren't peers like these days like you know some guy gets rich and then they make him appear and then he's like lord priddle of birkenstock you know i mean that kind of thing but they are but th- but those people tend to be um 
they tend to be political appointees and they're, um, they, they have essentially one lifetime as members of the House of Lords. And many of them actually do a rather good job as, as serious scrutineers of legislation. They take their job quite, quite properly. Um, and, um, and they're, they're recognizable members of a sort of elevated middle class. But the lot that I'm talking about, is the is the crowd that inherited the land, the Dukes of Westminster and uh, and, and Devonshire and so forth, who who um, you know who who have had ownership of the patchwork of England's real estate for a very long time. And they were always like the villains in Shakespeare plays, as they should be. Yes, the ones that used to mock um, so splendidly. Yeah, so we're going to see rather fewer of those, and there won't be a great sort of lifting of their coronets. And I'm very sorry about that because I can't think of anything more ridiculous than having you know 400 people simultaneously lifting a coronet. Um, I don't even know what a coronet looks like. Um, I think it's so like I, a trumpet, but smaller. No, I think it goes on your head. Oh, that's a different kind of coronet, I think. Not a cornet. Oh, a, a cornet. A, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I. I it's like a little. Mini- I get them all confused. You get the cornet and the coronet and the Cornish what? game hen. They're all very similar to me. That's why you got to show up for this event, David, because you know they're going to dust these things down for a once in fifty year airing, or perhaps perhaps we'll we'll get the next round a little sooner than that. But well, I was looking at the the order of succession, and after Prince Charles departs, he's like seventy three now. So given his family, he could be around for a long time. But 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 after he departs, I guess Prince William is next. And after Prince William, Prince George is next. And after Prince George, and this is where it gets more interesting, Princess Charlotte is next in line. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, nowhere to be seen, Harry, Andrew, any of those characters. Yeah, it, it, it's very rough on on the royals who are um, not likely to succeed because basically their number drops as years go by. I was surprised to see that Princess Anne is now 16th. Uh, in and, but let's be honest, Princess Anne is the best one of the bunch. She is the best one of the bunch. She's extremely uh, loyal, discreet, hardworking, fun. Um, uh, by all accounts, if you know her, I, I don't believe I've ever met her, but um, but people. Well, you probably met, remember if you'd met her. I, I probably would. Um, say that say that she's a very good company, a nice sort of waspish sense of humour, um, and and yet she has no prospect of becoming uh, queen, which is probably all our loss um, compared to the alternatives. Well. You know, I mean, you know, this all seems kind of abstract and there'll be these coaches and then all these guys with these big furry hats and then, you know, Prince Harry and then he'll go. Apparently he's leaving before the dinner so he can get back to his kid's birthday party in L.A. And then there'll be, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, well, you wrote a thing that I, you sent to me about the Stone of Scone. I don't even I think- know why you – I mean, how could I- Scone – which is stone. Yeah, I, Why is that? David, I'm a little concerned in case the Scots get at you. I think they're, they're going to insist that it's schoon. Schoon. Um, yeah. Um, so, and, and you don't want to have an argument with the Scots. But you don't go to thing. a bakery, same spelling, and say, oh, I'd like a, a blueberry schoon, please. So I don't understand. Well, there's a whole separate argument about the baked goods and how you pronounce those. But 
trust me, you don't want to mess with the Scots over the pronunciation of the Stone of Schoon. Um, okay, so there's the Stone of Schoon. What the hell is that? I'm not entirely sure. It's, it's a block of limestone that used to go under the chair that the king was crowned on. And uh, it seemed to be a way of saying, you know, um, behind all the, um, the, the pomp and circumstance of, of a coronation, there is a simple truth, which is that we are going to sit on the Scots. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was the Scottish heritage that was stolen by Edward I, brought to Westminster, and we refused to give it back. Now, I, I have no idea why it was so important that we drag a stone, you know, 450 But, but I, I mean, aren't we like looking for symbols to make this Great Britain and then he like will probably hold a leak or something to, or, 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 you know, yeah. a, a lock of, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Welsh footballer, Gareth Bale's hair, <laughs> something like that. The, 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 the honorary gilded golf club of Bale. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I mean, yeah. it's all to show that the kingdom is holding together, but really it's not so well. I mean, you know, the, the Scottish National Party, you know, we had some hopes for it, but it is really fucked up um, <laughs> recently, um, uh, scandals and so forth. Um, and we now have this kind of interesting um, display where the, the uh, head of the Scottish National Party is a Sikh, I think. Um, or something like that, and I think I think he's a Muslim. Oh, is he a Muslim? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so, so, well, forgive me for that, but um, but he's got to try and save this movement so the Scots can become free, as Mel Gibson intended them to be. Yes, he's got a particular problem. It has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with absurdity, which is that they seem to have spent a large amount of money that they said they were going to use uh, for campaigning on a mobile home. Uh, an RV that's parked in the driveway of their former treasurer's mother's house. This this is not a not um, uh, because no, we would the, we would never tolerate that here. I mean, Clarence Thomas, when he goes <laughs> to, to Harlan Crow, he's like, "No mobile homes for me." Right, exactly. Yeah. No, no mobile homes absurd in any uh, environment, particularly strange in scotland um well i mean but charles could be the last king to preside over the you know the united kingdom i mean isn't that possible uh, yeah i rather doubt that i mean I, I i think that the scottish nationalism movement is going to take us significant here the bigger problem for charles is not is not that um scotland decides that they want nothing to do with him um but the, the monarchy as a whole seems increasingly irrelevant in the UK. And, and I, I think there is always going to be a concern amongst royal supporters and the households and so forth uh, that Charles won't ever manage to retain the sort of levels of popularity that his mother could more or less command um, and, and did but right through to the end. You know, the, the funeral was a tremendous uh, rallying event for many Britons. I think a lot of people felt incredibly sentimental and affectionate towards the Queen when she died. And I don't think very much of that is going to transfer to Charles. And I think what, 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 what everybody's looking at right now is to see how quickly the air, as it were, goes out of the balloon. Um, uh, it, it's, it's not going to plummet and crash, but there's, I just think it, Charles has just got a very tough task on his hands to make himself meaningful to a country that is right now you know, it's got quite severe economic problems up and down the land. There's a lot of people who are struggling to pay for... Can you hear this background noise? Yes, it's, it sounds like 
flamenco Sorry, my- flamenco dancers in your home? Love my wife's family. <laughs> but now, but I mean, isn't this a little overdue? Let's let's look back on British um, history. I mean, you know, there were monarchs who were monsters who killed uh, large numbers of Brits, tortured them, pulled out their intestines. Another reference to Mel Gibson again. Um, uh, uh, slaughtered, you know, their wives. Um, uh, 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 you know, uh, were, were, you know, t- took the money of the poor and used it to benefit the wealthy. Uh, there were lunatic monarchs. There was a Nazi who was a monarch for a while, uh, maybe more than one, but at least one. Um, I mean, shouldn't this have ended a long time ago? Why does it like endure? Um, well, I think it endures for two reasons. One is, one is, you know, if it works as a as a means of uh, people having something that they can collectively identify with and believe, then it will endure. Problem like that uh, for a modern twenty first century country that is has not really a lot of time for a lot of the mysticism that's associated with the monarchy. And then there's the other problem, which is it's easy to say you don't like the monarchy. It's incredibly difficult to replace it with something that you're absolutely sure is better. Uh, and when you talk about old Nazis, there have been plenty of old Nazis who've been elected presidents of countries um, post-World War II um, that, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, don't look so great as national. <laughs> um, and yeah. Britain's Brit, old, old, old Nazi king, really, I mean, he had a bit of a rough ride. Was two, two handshakes with Hitler. Uh, that, that's not exactly putting on the uniform. So I, I think the issue is how do you come up with a head of state? How do you come up with a national emblem? That is better. And, uh, you know, when when I think about my own views on the monarchy, that's exactly where, for me, the rubber hits the road. I I don't think the monarchy is appropriate in the sense of being an inherited uh, and entitled organization. But I think there is a way in which those people, if they recognize their inherited and entitledness, um, and if they are generous, and they need to be really generous in terms of what to do with their money, how they share it with with the nation, I don't think that necessarily this is um, a terrible thing to put on a stamp. Uh, it is an interesting history. The family has been um, around for quite a long time. Uh, it includes uh, successful years. It includes much less successful years, many less successful years. Uh, there are embarrassing monarchs. There are you know, modestly heroic monarchs. Um, perhaps George VI was a modestly heroic monarch, a very flawed human being, who who maintained a degree of dignity under pressure that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people could feel a certain fondness for, even if you don't like the monarchy. So I, I you know, come, come to me with a better alternative and then I'll sign up for it. But until then, I think I'd rather reform this lot um, and make them as affable and approachable and a good deal poorer, frankly, than they are right now um, to the national benefit. Uh, I think that's that's the, the, the most the most easily accessible way forward. Well, that sounds very sensible. Does it have any connection to British politics, you know, um, which has been a mess in its own right? But, you know, I've studied a lot of British history, and I know that Michael Sheen, when he was prime minister, uh, you know, was very upset about the the funeral of Diana and how they were treating all of that. And Helen Mirren, when she was queen, um, uh, uh, caused him endless headaches. But on the other hand, he revered her and he thought it was a big deal 
for um, the British people. Um, you know, Charles has, you know, got a bad rap for a long part of his life. I mean, he was kind of ahead of the curve on some issues that are actually significant politically, like climate change, the environment, urban planning, also, you know, inclusion. And I, I think, by the way, in the, the coronation tomorrow, he's going to make an effort to reach out to Brit, Brit, Britons of different faith and so forth. Um, d- will he have any political relevance? Yeah, I mean, I think he does. He, he does have some political relevance, and I think you're right. I think on those on those issues, he he was much more progressive and informed than uh, monarchs, and indeed than almost all of his family. Um, I, I think he did this very much on his own. I don't don't think anybody encouraged him to do it. I think uh, I think I think he did a lot of the thinking for himself, and um, and I. I, I I believe that those people who are close to Charles Napping for many years, those those people who are sort of firmly in his camp, you know, in the in the difficult years when he was warring with Diana, uh, have always said that people um, people that people underestimate the extent to which he's a he's a thoughtful uh, king in waiting with a conscience, um, and uh, that his concerns for environment and social welfare are very and genuine. I believe that's so. Um, uh, no reason to think otherwise. Um, I think the trouble with Charles is that he he does have a slightly absurd quality, and I think that's just difficult for PR. You know, he he talks in a slightly funny way. Uh, he has this sort of seems really self doubt. If only for ermine as well as he wore self doubt, uh, he would be a more credible king. Um, and so I think if he can temper those moments when he just seems a bit bonkers. Um, and and have a little more self confidence uh, to, to to occupy the role, then then uh, he can do a perfectly good job. I, I don't think he will be politically outspoken. I don't think I think he'll be extremely careful not to be, unless there is um, you know a, 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 a catastrophe that I can't quite imagine a, a British government engineering. Although that's Nothing's off the, off the table recently. Um, well, you know, you're right. There was this picture of him with his mother a long time ago when he was kind of an awkward young man, and he's wearing the regalia, and he looks like Little Bear in a Maurice Sendak book. You know, it's yeah. like it doesn't fit him. It's like you know, it's just but never look comfortable. He 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 never looks comfortable in front of a group of people. He never looks like the person. I mean, you know, when when when. Um, I hesitate to bring his name up in in uh, in this podcast, but uh, since he's here in the UK, surely by not coincidence, when Donald Trump starts to go on, you know he's loving it. Uh, he loves being in front of a crowd. He doesn't care what they do. loves being in front of a crowd, and you know that Charles doesn't. You know that that is not what Charles wants to be. He 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 is a quieter person. He's he's a more contemplative person. He would rather have conversations around the dinner table than be. Uh, in front of a, a mass of people, and I'm sure he'll feel rather uncomfortable for large chunks of tomorrow. I'm sure he thinks it's ridiculous that he's um, being paraded around uh, London in a gilded coach. Um, I'm, I'm sure he thinks that is ridiculous. That it is a ceremonial thing that he has to do, and that the sooner it's over, the better. Yeah. By the way, I just want to bring up in passing that I saw a story today. I guess that Donald Trump, who was in Scotland recently, um, undoubtedly looking for the stone of Scone. Um, uh, opening a golf course 
there was, you know, there like no Scots showed up because nobody likes Donald Trump, but there were some bagpipes. And people were like, well, who sent the bagpipes to welcome Donald Trump? That's really weird because nobody likes him. And it said it, the story revealed that he had actually hired them for himself <laughs> to, 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 to have a ceremonial welcome for himself. Um, so, well, that's pretty much the coronation. You know, they hired this for themselves. They hired the dear gods. Well, there's, the, you know, there's a, that's an element of it. A lot of an element of it is, 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 is show, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, it takes the, I mean, you know, in, 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 in a protacular sense, there's a head of state and a head of government, and they are separate for a reason because in many states, uh, you know, the idea is to preserve the the myth of the state and let the government deal with the grotty bits. Um, but this does bring us to, you know, the core issue. And really, let's be honest, the main reason anybody's interested in this, and that is, you know, Camilla and Diana. Um, you know, Diana was quite popular. They've made a lot of movies about her and people liked her because she was pretty. Camilla, you know, she was competing against Diana in this kind of gross, vogue, fashion spread way. It was it was kind of disgusting the way it turned out. She turns out maybe she's a nice person with a sense of humor and she actually gets along with her husband and you know, she's been treated real badly. Um, but now she's going to not be the queen consort. She's going to be the queen. Um, what's, what's the British public's view of Camilla? And, uh, uh, is, 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 is it about to be maybe set aright a little bit? I think, I think, well, from, I don't, I don't really know, to be honest. I think, I think the, the pollsters tell us that, that the British public much more accepting of the idea of her uh, than even two years ago, um, and and I suspect that you know for those people who are monarchists and who who as you said believe that the, the monarchy is as good a way of uh, symbolising the nation as any other, I think they would rather have uh, a king and a queen um, and not some sort of awkward you know verbal alternative. What the hell is a queen consort? You know, it feels like a sort of ass. Um, so I think a lot of people would, would just say, look, let them get on with their lives. You know, he's married to her. He's the king. She, she therefore is the queen, uh, shut up and move on. Um, and, uh, but don't I, you I, think I, she got a kind of a raw deal for like 30 years? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think the, I think the other thing about all this is, um, uh, it's not, it's not easy being a member of the Royal family. It isn't always fun. Um, and, uh, yes, you do have tremendous privilege. I mean, they are the embodiment of privilege, um, in terms of what they inherit and where they can go, but there's a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, the, uh, uh, the sense in which you are being set up to fail continuously and especially the more popular ends of the media, I think is, is inexorable, um, and somewhat, somewhat, uh, cruel. Uh, in my view, I mean, I think I think Harry is being set up to fail in a terrible way, um, and that n- that nobody will be more thrilled than the royal supporting Daily Mail if that's what happens, because they're just waiting, they're hovering like you know vultures, uh, and it's sort of disgusting. Um, and even if if Harry and Meghan play into this, I still think it's disgusting. So 
uh, it's not easy to be a royal consort or a, or a royal wife or a royal girlfriend. Um, I think Diana, you know, found it was utterly miserable for her and uh, she suffered tremendously because of it. I think Camilla is made of sterner stuff and um, she's, she's grown up in the proximity of royals uh, her entire life. Uh, she had a better idea of what she was getting into. She's very self-controlled in public. Uh, she's very self-disciplined. She seems to be very strong and, and, and I'm sure very good for Charles in that respect, according to what everybody says. Um, and insofar as, you know, if you want somebody on board the boat, if the weather is going to get choppy for the monarchy, I think she's an excellent person to have uh, pretty close to the tiller. Um, it's, it's fascinating because the monarchy is so much a celebrity phenomenon as opposed to a political phenomenon. Um, I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, but you know, that's no fault of the monarchy. I mean, the, the Queen resisted the television cameras for the longest possible time. One of the things I really like about the coronation is that they have uh, maintained the incredibly TV unfriendly hour of 11 o'clock in the morning Greenwich time, which means that, you know, not only will no Americans be awake, but no Canadians will be awake. Now, you know, this is their new head of state. You would have thought that somebody in the palace might have thought, should we wait until the Canadians are up in case there are a few of them that would like to watch? And what about those Australians? You know, they, they haven't paid any attention to that. I assume coronation has always been at 11 o'clock in the morning and damn it, that's what they're doing. So I don't think they are really sort of media savvy and I don't think they're playing media games. And um, although, um, you know, Harry and Meghan unquestionably are because that's where their income is coming from. I don't think you can say that Charles is doing that. Um, and I don't think you can say it's a, it's a strategy, um, of the Royal family to maximize media benefit. I think they are trying to manage the downside of being a very conspicuous media item. Um, I think they're continually trying to manage that. Um, and, uh, and and Harry and Meghan have just made that a lot harder for them. Okay, so before we go, tomorrow morning at, uh, I guess, uh, five hours, so 6 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, you'll be up, you'll be wearing some regalia with your family, your children grown, probably sitting at your feet, make it difficult to see the television. and. Um, the question is, what will you be watching for? Would this just be light entertainment with uh, martial music? Or will you be saying, oh, you know, I wonder how William will get along with Harry? Or uh, what is Kate Middleton wearing? Uh, she's not Kate Middleton anymore, is she? She's... No, no. Um, uh, I think she's sort of Kate Cambridge, which sounds odd. Um but no, no, I'll watch. Um, I'll, I'll watch because I think you have a parade of um, historical objects, to some extent inheritances, which is which is still pretty much unmatched. And I think it's kind of interesting. It's a pageant. Um, it's it, it happens to be nearly May Day, so I'm viewing this in the spirit of a May Day pageant. You know, it's a lot of people twirling around a maypole, as far as I'm concerned. But there's no nothing wrong with that. Um, um, I think, you know, you're going to see the largest cut diamond in the world briefly. I have that lying around my home, so I'm quite happy to see it on a, on a sector in, in Westminster for a few seconds. 
Um, and I, th I think we can enjoy all of that. Um, and we can resume all the debates about whether monarchies are good and whether this one has inherited or stolen its goods afterwards. Um, but, I, but, you know, there's a lot of bling out there, David, and who doesn't enjoy that? Um, well, let's be honest. There is no debate about whether monarchies are good. They're not. And uh, they did steal all that stuff. Um, and Actually, the Cullinan diamond was offered to the, 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 the royal family in 1905 after it had been discovered and cut. And they didn't, they, they didn't buy it. They said, no, we're not going to buy it. Um, and two years later, somebody gave it to them. So they, they really didn't steal it. Now, you may say its, it's ethnic origins are in southern Africa, um, in the Transvaal uh, colony. But they didn't actually steal that. Somebody gave it away, and they've got it. Well, good for them. I mean, I don't, I don't really think we can say that we should be repatriating minerals around the world. Otherwise, most of us are going to have to give whatever's in the, uh, in the engines of our car back to the Middle East. Um, well, that probably wouldn't be a bad thing, let's be honest with you. There, and, you know, there's still the, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, Elgin marbles. Are they Elgin or Elgin? I'm not, I, you know, I can't schoon yeah. marble you know there are the elgin marbles there and you know we did i mean the british empire did you know the british east india company you know they like stole a trillion dollars out of india so forth so i mean no i mean let's be fair yes i totally agree with that i don't dispute that but i will point out to you the um the east india company east india company not the british india company india. Was, was a a joint stock company it was a corporation first one of the very first ones in the world um that rewarded its stockholders and was eventually nationalized because it failed financially so you can blame a certain amount of this on the nation state you can also blame a lot of it on capitalism and it depends where you want to um want to throw your darts i i have plenty of darts and and there's certainly enough to go some for monarchy and some for the exploitive nature of capitalism which is not to say I love all the other parts. I mean, there, you know, there's not, you know, there's something to be said for it. Uh, in any event, I can't imagine that any of the coverage tomorrow, including Cotty Kay wearing fancy clothes and, um, you know, all the royal, you know, the royal correspondent from the Daily Mail and these other people will provide anyone with the kind of insight you have just provided us with. And that's what we do here at Deep State Radio. We try to get you know, beyond what you're going to get on the tube. Uh, and you've done it, Clive, and I'm super grateful. Uh, I'm sure all our listeners are super grateful. Um, and I will watch it uh, as you do uh, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., although I will probably watch it uh, on the from the elevated position of um, my seated elliptical as I work out in the morning. <laughs> um, uh, so that some good comes out of all of uh, in any event, uh, have a good coronation weekend, um, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. And for the rest of you who are listening, um, and you want to find out more of what we're doing, go to the dsrnetwork.com, and uh, if you want to support it, click on membership. We'd be grateful. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.